host David Griffiths welcoming you to another one of our virtual Meet the Brewers tonight with the guys from Blackman's Brewery. Before we kick off and I do my introductions uh, as ever with our virtual Meet the Brewers there are a few things for housekeeping and I'll try to keep this spiel a bit shorter than the 15 or 20 minutes that it's been running to in the last few weeks. Uh, first of all whether you're joining us live in the Zoom room or if you're listening to the podcast later Tonight's uh, podcast is designed to be appreciated with three specific Blackman's beers in hand. You can obviously listen to it without, but uh, if you've received your tasting pack courtesy of this week, we're kicking off with the sour, then we'll be going to the juicy banger, and we'll be finishing with the needs more citra later on in the night. So uh, make sure that you have those ready to go if you want to experience this to the maximum. We also uh, always say that we don't expect people, given that we tend to get through this in an hour, to drink all of those. Uh, drink responsibly if you're enjoying this at home. Uh, you can either make yourself a little tasting paddle and share it with those near and dear to you in your household. Or if you're listening to it as part of the podcast, you can always pause after each of the sections We'll make it pretty clear when we're moving from one beer to another. That way you can make sure that you, um, you enjoy it uh, to the maximum and remember what you've enjoyed. Uh, big thanks to those of us who are joining us in the room tonight. Another good crowd in tonight. And of course, those who are coming in via the podcast. Uh, if you haven't already joined up to follow us on Facebook and Instagram, please do so, that, so that you can find out about future and past episodes. We've had a couple of ripper past episodes in the last few weeks uh, in terms of non-virtual Meet the Brewers sessions. We had Blake Willoughby from Two Birds join us this week. Blake and I have quite a history going back to the Melbourne Fringe Festival, but you'll need to listen into the podcast to find out about that. You'll also find out about uh, his previous introductions with Kumar from Deeds, uh, who was on, I think, the week before in our midweek sessions. We've also got the audio from our previous Meet the Brewers sessions up there. We had Joel from Venom. We've had Bonehead, the guys from Lacerine. And last week, we were lucky enough to have both Brooks from Nomad and Casper from Ale Farm in Denmark talking about their collaborations. Um, so give those a listen if you haven't already. And we can home deliver you beer associated with all those podcasts as well. So don't miss out on that. Uh, next week for our virtual Meet the Brewers, it's the first Thursday in winter, so we're going to be enjoying some dark winter warmers, uh, featuring the Moondog Cake Hole and some other dark beers. Uh, that's going to be the last of the virtual Meet the Brewers that we've got scheduled in for the moment as coronavirus lockdown starts to lift. But we'd really love, first of all, for everyone who's joined us through the virtual Meet the Brewers process to, uh, to come along and be part of that one. But also to let us know if you're interested in these sessions continuing in one way, shape or form, uh, whether we move the days or move the times or change the focus, we're very open to keeping that going because we love doing them and we've had some really great experiences, as I'm sure we're going to with the guys from Blackman's tonight. 
the first of my co-hosts tonight is Travis. Travis, I'm going to let you introduce the guys from Blackman's and we'll go on from there, mate. Thanks, David. How are we all tonight, guys? Um, tonight we've got Ren from Blackman's and, uh, and Luke. We're going to talk uh, across three of the beers and, um, and get a bit of the background into the Blackman story and uh, how everything came about. Um, obviously, Ren and Luke, you're in two separate locations, so we'll try to bounce off you guys, each other. Um, we're starting with the Barrel Farm Sour, which I think is going to be a quite an intriguing story. Um, but before we get into that, Ren, how about you tell us... Um, a bit about what Blackman's is, how it came about, and um, we'll go from there. Yeah, <clears throat> no worries. Um, well, yeah, so my, our last name is Blackman, so that's where the name came from. Um, yeah, I, I started brewing. Podcast, I guess that's, you know, we've learned all we need to know, and, you know, thanks for coming. Yeah. All right, I'll catch you later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, yeah, yeah, for sure, yeah. All right, we'll wrap it up then. Don't let see him continue. I'm going to edit him out later on. Yeah. Uh, so tell us a bit about the Blackman story, Ren. Uh, well, yeah, so oh, I probably started brewing about 12 years ago. Um, went to uni, studied brewing at uni. Um, had done a bit of home brewing, but wasn't like an avid home brewer or anything like that. And didn't know much about beer at the time. Um, probably the I know, couple of beers I like, like Little Creatures Pale Ale and uh, Blue Tongue Lager, a few things like that. Um, and yeah, just decided I wanted to study it. Um, so studied it, got a job over in Fremantle, um, over at a brewery called The Monk in, over there. Worked there for a couple of years um, and moved over to the UK and worked at a few breweries there and ended up back in Australia working over here as well for several years. Um, and then sort of during that time, me and my wife, uh, Jess, we sort of just developed a huge love for brewing and beer and, and breweries and just really wanted to start our own. Um, we'd spent quite a bit of time in Torquay before we moved away um, and always sort of thought Torquay would be an amazing spot to start a brewery. Um, and sort of, yeah, at the time when we were thinking of doing it, uh, my boss at the time at True South in Black Rock came to me um, and said that he was looking to sell the equipment that he had. So we were planning on starting with just a small, probably like a 100, 200 litre setup initially. Um, but in turn, it meant that he had this equipment for sale. Um, he still wanted someone to brew their beer for them. So it was a great opportunity. Um, we moved the equipment down to Torquay and um, started Blackman's at the same time. Um, launched with Reginald IPA. So um, all the beers were named after Blackman family members. So Reginald, my grandfather. Um, and Ernie, oh, it's Aussie Pale now, but we um, uh, used to be a gold nail. Um, and then, yeah, sort of they loosely reflected their sort of characters, Reginald being a grumpy old sort of bugger. Um, and uh, and it's that IPA sort of suited him quite well. Um, and then, yeah, we sort of just grown from there. Um, yeah, initially had the brewery in Torquay with a venue out the front. Um, we added Geelong in 2016, so the good beer bar. Um, and then Ocean Grove in August last year, so burger and beer bar as well. Um, yeah, and just continually expanding our beer and getting it out there and, yeah, having fairly good time doing it with people like Luke and Rick and all the other people that work there. So it's pretty fun. So. It sounds like it's a uh, it's a really sort of family orientated, but you're bringing everyone into the fold type setup. And yeah, you know, yeah, no, I know when I've been clear. down to Torquay on multiple times, it's you, you definitely get that sort of vibe from the place along oh, with, uh, oh, along awesome. as well. So let's move on to 
talking about the barrel farm sour, um, I'm guessing we've all got it cracked open by now, so we'll take a bit of a sip, mainly because I wanted to have a drink. Um, tell us how this came about. Obviously, the barrel farm is a reasonably new thing with you guys, and there's quite a story behind that, I'm guessing. Um, give us a bit of a rundown on how it all came about. Um, so, <clears throat> yeah, Barrel Farm is sort of, we wanted to start a bit of a side project um, that sort of specialised in sour beer and barrel ageing and things like that. Um, but initially to get it off the ground, um, kind of thought we needed something that is an approachable kind of sour like what we've sort of done here. Um, um, and we wanted to kind of incorporate local ingredients into it. So we thought we, we played around with seawater a little bit in lots of our beers um, and kind of thought, gozers and things like that um so we kind of came up with this one yeah where we get some seawater it's soured in the kettle um fermented on some french oak um and we dry hop it as well so there's quite a few different things going on in there but all very subtle um and just designed to be yeah just a super easy drinking sour but still with plenty of complexity that someone that's right into their beers will still really appreciate it um yeah and is the barrel farm is you know i'm guessing there's an actual farm yeah yeah so close by or is it yeah so um it's over in barwon heads um so there's a property there where we're storing some barrels and then also my parents i live over in drysdale too so we've got some barrels there too um the plan is to hopefully in that on in that area to have a space where those barrels eventually we have a tasting room there um and you can It'll, yeah, obviously barrels are a long sort of work in action. They've got to sit there for a long time in the in the wood doing their thing. Um, but this is kind of the early steps with that. Um, yeah, we've got probably about 25, 30 barrels going now. Um, and we're going to add to that again pretty soon. Um, and it's just, yeah, just sort of the barrel stuff's going to take a while. But um, yeah, this is kind of something that we could do in the short term to kind of, yeah, get the beer out there and start creating some interest. Yeah. And while we're talking about the barrel farm, why don't we mention is what else is available in that range that the listeners might be able to go out and get? We did a series of fruited versions of this beer over summer. So they were the same grist um, and Ren used ale yeast with those. We did a raspberry and a sour version and then we did a lemon sorbet sour and a peaches and cream sour. So there'd be a little bit of that left in trade, but it did tend to, it was pretty well received. So there's probably not a great deal of it left. We do have another Barrel Farm beer. Um, when we initially launched the Barrel Farm at the Gala Showcase in last, last March, it was um, the Barrel Farm Sour, and it was launched with the Sour Neeper that we did, which was a, um, a nice kind of Sour Neeper inspired by a, a English garden cocktail. So it had some gin infused cucumber and some apple juice and mint and, Kind of some nice kind of different flavours to add a little bit of depth to it. Um, and I, I think it was a fairly outstanding neighbor at the time. So it's one of the beers I get asked for a lot. And that comes out again in about, oh, I think it's the 19th of June. Yeah, we actually brewed it, brewed it this morning. Yeah. There you go. Marvellous. Yep. And then some of you may have come across, there's been talk of the Chockberry um, blended. It was a blend of our raspberry and a science and gin barrel aged smoke porter. So that one could come out, be on the cards again. And the goal, pretty much, we did have barrel farm beer scheduled for every couple of months over this year. And then now 
We're sticking to the schedule um, so far, but the um, yeah, I guess the current change in circumstances have meant we're, we're taking it as we come. So we may end up sticking to our schedule, but definitely be more fruited stuff. And as Ren said, if it's not kind of a barrel age, then we're making sure we tie it into a sour or a farmhouse um, type of category. And sometimes it is just taking advantage of um, local fruit or produce that we can get. We did a quince and honey saison that was kind of done off the cuff after um, Ren came across some some local honey and quince and basically any time that produce does come kind of locally or from some of our um, different partners that we, we get with their fruit or supplies for the restaurants off, sometimes that can be inspiration for beer too. But yeah, that sour nipper would be, be a good one to get on there. Uh, so you talked about uh, the local ingredients and that sort of thing. Uh, did you take any inspiration from any other breweries in relation to the Barrel Farm stuff? Uh, I just think a lot of those breweries over in Belgium are like a great example. Um, they're just so based on um, their natural environment. Um, we went to one that well, I think a lot of people have probably been to, but Cantillon in uh, Brussels. Um, and that just blew my mind when I went there. Um, you walk into this space where it's like it's barrels just everywhere. Um, there's cobwebs and dust and it's very different to like the breweries we know where they're all clean and super tidy and, Whereas this, it's all about the stuff that's in that room is, is highly influential on what flavour and character happens to the beer. So, I, yeah, that was a huge part for me about learning that solid beer. And you can, so, um, and yeah, I think over, over in Europe too, it was all very about like local ingredients and drinking locally and stuff too. So that's kind of yeah, that barrel farm direction was, yeah, probably like that. So. Yeah. I think that... One of the things I like about Barrel Farm is it's, I mean, it's a, a format for us to be able to encourage people to, to get involved in that kind of shared beer culture. And I mean, there's some fantastic wild barrel age beers coming out from Australia um, at the moment, but, but quite a lot of them, they do come in at a higher price point and, you know, they have levels of complexity that might be a little bit challenging for someone that's just kind of coming into beer or has the attitude maybe they don't like beer. Well, I kind of think this this is one thing I like about this one is that it is it's a pretty good gateway beer. And I kind of think sour, sour beers have the um, the potential to, well, and they have already started a whole new wave of kind of craft beer drinkers that might not come, come to this hobby or infatuation from a hobby point of view or even an alcohol standpoint. But, um, you know, I, I kind of think sour beers are going to be, they're going to be good for, for beer in general, you know, and um, they're definitely one of the tools to, to help us kind of um, let people know that beer is just not beer, you know, that it is um, lots of variations of, of, you know, a liquid and not just this, um, you know, a fizzy Aussie lager. So, yeah, that's definitely... It's really well balanced and it's, I mean, it's not sour for the sake of being sour. Um, you know, we've, we've got into this, this world where, you know, everyone tries to somewhat outdo themselves on a sour beer, but this is... Yeah, it's just beautiful the way it's balanced. So yeah, well done on that, guys. It's um, yeah, it's really good, really good. Just maybe ask a quick little question about we've got that little salt edge in there, and I guess when we're talking about the sense of place and so forth, to most Victorian listeners, will know where you are and what Torquay and the Great Ocean Road and that part of the world represents. But for overseas listeners, uh, can you just sort of perhaps orientate them to where we are in Australia and what makes that part of the world so special, the kinds of places that you're listing there in terms of Geelong and Torquay and Ocean Grove, Drysdale, you know, whereabouts are we in Victoria, Australia? 
Um, so sort of, yeah, about an hour and a half south of uh, Melbourne, um, side of the Great Ocean Road. So there's the Ballerine Peninsula and Ocean Grove, Torquay. Uh, beautiful beaches. Um, yeah, just a pretty amazing spot to live. We're all pretty lucky, really, where we live. Um, but yeah, again, this beer, we get to go out to, it's quite fun on the brew day. We get to go down the beach and get a few buckets of water, get our ankles wet. Um, sometimes Luke gets to go down too, if he's lucky. <laughs> um, and yeah, we get, take it back to the brewery and throw it in, which is fun. So. But yeah, it's quite a cool, cool thing to be throwing into your beer because it is like, it's such a big part of everyone's life in, uh, around these parts. So. Yeah. I, I have often wondered with the beers that you guys do when you're using salt water, if it is just a case of you walking across, you know, just 10 people walking across the road with buckets and just filling it up at the beach and walking back sort of thing. Um, yeah, in yeah, my head, much. that's how you always did it. So that's, uh, that's yeah. Good. Well, sometimes it's a more of a rushed exercise. It's like, oh, Luke, get in the car or Rick, get in the car or run down to the beach and yeah, grab some salt water because we forgot. But yeah, generally, yeah, that's how we do it. Not as dreamy, but yeah. And so, then, we did seven gazes one, I think, in one year, seven or eight gazes. And the first one we did with salt flakes. And then we had um, one where we were doing two at a time and we um, ran, brewed one with salt flakes and one with seawater. And we just kind of found it presented just a, a slightly more kind of layered, um, a little just softer presentation of the salt, really. And a good super, Yeah, super smooth, like way smoother. Like, yeah, this had way less rough edges with the salt water. Yeah, interesting. Um, I wonder if over summer, if you ever need to collect salt water, you just incorporate or, you know, go across the road with buckets and give them to some of the kids at the caravan park and make them do the work for you. Yeah. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. <laughs> I have family that frequent that caravan park. I reckon they, they might be able to help out. Every yeah, I could. Yeah. Yeah, you can sort them out with some beer as long as they're over 18. I think most of the time they're on actually the roadside of the caravan park, so they spend a fair bit of time at the brewery anyway. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. Nice one. Uh, while, we're, while we're slowly getting to the end of talking about the barrel farm, let's welcome Warren Wu to the mix. Hello, good evening. Sorry about the tardiness, but uh, yeah, got here in the end, and I'm, I'm tasting the sour too. Uh, this is my second go. I haven't tried it before, but yeah, it's pretty delicious. And like everyone says, there's a beautiful, um, there's a beautiful balance in it. Uh, I noticed, matter of fact, there's something that's occurred to me and maybe I'm, um, maybe I'm a little full of shit. Maybe it's just me, but yesterday when I tried one or the day before when I, I oh know we've been yesterday when I, when I had a little pre-taste, the can that I had was a lot more bretty. Like it had more Britannomyces than this beer. Do you use Britannomyces at all? Am I imagining that, that it had bread? But the uh, yesterday was a little bit funkier. Like, I don't know. It's maybe I'm, I'm, I'm going out of my mind. And, that, that, and the guys will attest that could be the case. But yeah, it was, it was different. I'm, I feel different. Like there's a lot of similar characters, but yeah. Yeah, right. Interesting. Yeah, well, you might have been, yeah, different time of the day, perceiving different flavours. I don't know. I'm not sure. It uses a lager yeast as opposed to an ale. And then it's, um, so it's a pretty clean ferment. I mean, I, I never yeah. get any kind of funky characters from it generally. I do find, tend to find the sound it seems to present a little bit differently and the oak differently depending on how warm I drink it or probably how thirsty I am, I suppose. But. Mm -hmm. Which is interesting you say that. I took mine out of the fridge and brought them upstairs in front of the computer and I feel like the warmer the beer is getting, the sour profile sort of, 
shifting a little bit, which is not a bad thing. It's actually really good. Um, but I've noticed a little bit different in that sour profile as I'm going through it, which is great because I feel like I could just sit on this all night and not drink anything else, but I won't. And we'll, we'll probably move on to the, the juicy banger. Well, I think that was the goal with it, wasn't it, Ren? It was kind of one of the sour that we'd sit there and drink all afternoon, but then something. Yeah, that's, and some that's the, the thing, yeah, like, because some, some, a lot of sours are that thing where they're, yeah, mouth puckeringly sour that they're, they're brilliant for one. And you're like, wow, I see how amazing that beer is. But yeah, we wanted something that we could, yeah, drink a six pack of and keep going. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. Yeah. You guys might have discussed this, but how long, how long, has has that sat in barrel like what's the barrel process or what's a barrel part of the phone? Yeah. So, based, so with this one, um, we kettle sour it and then we age it on French oak. Oh, so it cool. goes the oak in the tank. Um, but this is just like a quick turnaround sour. It's not uh, one of our Nothing. barrel age releases. Yeah. All right, great. Okay. I'm almost finished my can of the sour, so I feel like I need to open another can. All right. Um, Next. And I noticed, Ren, you you polished your can off pretty quick as well. Just, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just before, so. Um, so next we're going to talk about the Juicy Banger. And I might hand over to Warren to, to get a bit involved here and, uh, and then have a bit, of a bit of a chat. Have, has Warren opened his Juicy Banger yet? No, I haven't. I tried. Um, that's one of the ones I had for lunch today, actually. So oh, even um, better. Good work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'll... I'll just before we do get on to talking about this beer, Luke, can you, just for the people that are watching this, can you hold up your can for us? Yeah. Well done, Travis. This is, no, this, is, um, this was just canned yesterday. So there's a, the Juicy Banger kind of has been due for a little bit of a redesign. Which just, is something that we were talking about earlier on before you guys came on board during the virtual front bar session in relation to your labelling. Um. Yeah. I remember the Juicy Banger from when it was first released being the label that the majority of us have got, obviously. Um, and obviously, you'll change the label to fit into the scheme of, of of sort of your core range and that sort of thing. I could be incorrect on this, but we'll start on this point. I remember it being, and Ren, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, was the Juicy Banger released as a part of a series and it's become part of your core range? Yeah, yeah. So initially, um, yeah, we released a thing called the Lager Collective um, back in, I don't know, a fair few years ago. Uh, yeah. And it was just a kind of a thing to um, sort of show people that lagers can, yeah, lagers is an awesome style of beer. Um, but we kind of went with hoppy styles of lager um, to kind of just showcase to those hoppy head type of people that, love IPAs that lagers can kind of hold their own in that field too. Um, and we just had such a huge kind of uptake on this beer and loved it ourselves. I think it's my, probably my favorite of all our beers. Um, yeah. And it just sort of went from there and became a core. Like we just didn't stop making it from that point. Yeah. It's kind of born out of the eye. I mean, we all love big hoppy beers, but just in the height of summer or if you've mowed the lawn or you're hanging by the beach, they just can get a little cloying and kind of heavy on the palate. So that was the kind of idea. It was, was just mixing kind of the hops and the flavour profiles that we all like. I mean, it's friend's favourite. You know, we all love big hoppy beers and it's probably what Blackman's outside of Lager Collective and, and hopefully now moving forward to Barrel Farm, it's what we're kind of known for. But... um. 
it you know it definitely I think it's a fair bit harder um, to make a beer that hold that carries the hops that still have you know that has such a light um, malt backbone because it is just a single it's a single single pilsner, pilsner malt yeah right yeah yeah but um yeah it seems to have struck a chord and we we do a double version of it as well that just was released for the second time at the start of this. Seven and a half percent kind of a version of the same thing, um, which is with that'll come out annually in March moving forward. Yeah, and look, right. I guess the whole the whole thing, and I suppose for a lot of us, when we first get into beer, you kind of tend to turn your back on lager after drinking ten or twenty thousand cans of Aussie lager. At some point, um, it does almost become a dirty word for a lot of people that um, you know that are on their ale or kind of or hop journey. But um, I guess it's also a beer that serves to point out that lager is just a yeast and I mean what Rick our other brewer always likes to say is it's just another paintbrush that he can kind of use to colour his beer with so probably another reason why you know the lager yeast was chosen over a ale yeast in the sour beer that we spoke about just because it's just a level of drinkability that that, that comes with a dry beer and and I do juicy banger I mean we see a lot of festivals we get a lot of people that come up that are new to beer and they ask us you know what's your best beer and Generally, we'll kind of ask them what they drink and often we'll get people and it might be a Furfy or a Great Northern or it could be a 150 Lashes, but people that are generally fairly early on their beer journey and, and Juicy Bang is a good one because you can, because it's got that dry finish, you can kind of hop someone out a little bit because it doesn't have a lingering bitterness so much. It um, seems to be one they come back for, but it often does sneak up on them a bit at 5.8%. It can end up a pretty big day at the beer festival if you're on Juicy Banger <laughs> from 11. <laughs> Apart from the um, apart from the label, has the has the beer itself evolved over time? Have you guys have you guys tweaked it and changed it as you've gone along? Is it one of those types of beers? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, <clears throat> sort of since the start, it's probably the hops have changed over time. Um, just because of that, oh no, sort of as hops change too. So some of the hops we initially started with uh, Peko, Azaka, and Chinook, um, and we. I think we our supply of Peko and Azaka sort of dried up early on. Um, and then um, Chinook changed quite a bit too. It wasn't giving us the original flavours that we were getting out of it. Um, it's getting a bit more catty, as Luke was saying earlier. Um, so we, we moved... It sort of then went to sort of Mosaic Amarillo. Um, it's been that most of the time. We did have a stage where there's some Galaxy in there probably a year ago. Um, but we just sort of, yeah... It, really just try to express those like juicy kind of grapefruit flavors and it just depends on yeah where those hops are at to kind of where we need the beer to be but yeah it's we're pretty happy with it at the moment sort of it's just been a work in progress since the start like a lot of people's beers are you kind of tinker with them over time and just try to make them better and better and better as you go so yeah and that's that's the broader story with most of your beers i'm assuming considering the answer then it's it's all oh, for sure yeah yeah because that's the thing you always want to make what you're making better and, and the first time you make a beer it, it's definitely never the, the best or sometimes it can be it can it can turn out a money but um a lot of the time they, they like you've just got to tinker them and change them a little bit over time but very you just do minor little changes so it's not a noticeable change until you get it to that point where you want it to be over time. So, what's the what's the beer that hit the mark straight away? What's the one that uh, that knocked you over the first go? Uh, oh, probably this one we're going to drink last today. I reckon the Citra. Um, yeah, it's 
yeah, that uh, needs more Citra. Um, yeah, it, it's just came out amazingly and yeah, just, I suppose it speaks for that hop too. I think Citra is an amazing hop, but yeah, just first go and it's, Pretty, pretty drinkable and pretty, very popular too, which is good. So, which uh, we'll we'll get to that shortly. I'm I'm <laughs> curious to know, um, in relation, to just sort of stepping back to the the lager series that you did, why did this one stand out above the other three that you did, or was it four in total? Um, uh, I think we ended up doing about half, half a dozen. The first three were the ones that kind of, they were released in series and marketed together. So it was Juicy Banger, um, Black Lager that was then subsequently re-released and called Citra Black Dynamite and a, a New Zealand take on Juicy Banger called Zinger Slinger. And I think, you know, the Citra Black Dynamite was an amazing beer, but being dark, it just wasn't, didn't have the same broad appeal that, that the lighter beer would. And then for those of you that have a love of New Zealand hops, you know they can be pretty in your face. So Zinger Slinger was great for the beer lover, but it was a bit of a rude introduction to a hoppy lager for someone that might not have, you know, been used to a big kind of nose full of Rewaka and Nelson. And Zinger Slinger was a fantastic beer, and I'm sure released again and it'd go quite well. But to me, I think Juicy Banger was just the one that really did merge kind of a drinkable lager with a kind of hoppy IPA the best. And I think, I mean, there's a lot in the name as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, everyone wants a juicy banger, and I reckon there's quite a few people that have tried it just off the back of the name, and then a pleasantly surprised with a good drinkable beer from it as well. And then we decided, you see, with the new can, that we actually decided just to mention the fact it's an Indian bar lager on the back rather than the front, just because there's, you know, there's so much good beer out these days, and at the end of the day, we wouldn't want someone not to pick this up just because they thought, oh, I don't like lagers, and it does tend to be some of the feedback we get from some people. So we've kind of, it does say IPO on the side there, but it's kind of, we just thought we'd let people. Which is kind of interesting because I think the first time I tried one of the series at the bar in Geelong, one of the things that sort of lent me towards it was the fact that all of a sudden we had a craft brewery that was brewing lagers, um, which, you know, as we all know, it's not really a thing. It's not, um, you know, you're not going to a craft brewery and there's a lager. Not back then. Obviously things have shifted a little bit bit now but um that was what sort of the lager side of it was what got me on board in the first place it's um and it's interesting in the sense that it's probably the only one of your labels that doesn't have ipa or pale ale or lager written on the front of the can yeah we we often work at the start of the year that it's going to be the year of the lager and i think eventually (laughs) ipls are my favorite style of beer just for sort of Almost everyday drinking. I mean, I say almost with that sort of 5.8% number in mind because I wouldn't have picked that sort of out of the can in my mouth as it being that high. Is there a is there a cost to using lager yeast? Do you is there a longer time in the tank? Uh, yeah, a process a lot. Yeah, yeah. So we always give this. This is sort of pretty close to sort of almost a month a lot of the time, um, mm. and it's. Um, whereas something like an IPA is generally sort of 18 days or less. Um, and then, um, and the is, yeah, it's more expensive. Yeah, they quite often do cost quite a bit to make, but people don't perceive that value as well. So sort of, they sort of convey that value to people yeah. and explain it. 
what on, yeah. on the sales side that's that's always been my that's always been my sales point. it's like yeah it's a craft like uh, because it, it as in as in a big, big commercial Agres and it takes yeah. a long time and it's a process. Yeah, yeah sure. Raw ingredients in the Baltic, the Baltic Port is a lager, or there's all these interesting lager styles, and I think it can, can be a bit of a shame to turn your back on the beer just because of the yeast that's been used. Mm. You know, there's there's quite a lot of depth in there, and man, I mean, we've done a couple of really nice dark lagers, and they're always well received, kind of out of the glass, but it can be a little bit of a challenge to get someone that, that kind of. Um, you know, doesn't drink in that space so much to try it. And then, I mean, as you know, too, if you have a perception that something's not what you like, then you kind of, you got to choke down a few pots of it before you go. <laughs> so, and, and I mean, I think also, you know, I think it's, it's, it's good and it's probably one of the motivating factors for Ren when he decided to do the Lager Collective to be trying to make some beer that is a bit of a different experience and doesn't play in such a crowded position because, I mean, you've, you know, for, for the most part, you need to make a good IPA and have a nice pail to, to um, you know, be relevant in most markets. But at the same time, you're not really, I mean, the level of beer and the quality of beer just in the four or five years that I've been working in the industry and I've been drinking Australian craft beer for about 10 years. And the standard out is phenomenal now, you know, it's everyone's making good beer. So I think it, you know, it makes sense to, put a little bit of the energy into to what you're doing into something that you believe in that maybe is playing a bit of space that's not quite as crowded because, you know, there's, there's 450 good pale ales and now this is one of the best one out there and it's, uh, you know, in our mind anyway, and it, it, it sells really well, but often it, it will be a little bit easier for me as a salesperson to kind of sell something that, that has a bit of a unique offering and a point of difference and a good story, I think. I mean, that's... You know, once all the beers taste good, then kind of the equity is in the story, really. Yeah. One of the questions that we've been asked sort of in the room by one of the one of the Zoom friends is about sort of the accessibility of your beer, your label, and to, I guess, the phrase you might be using is sort of average Aussies rather than beer snobs. Is that sort of a, a thing that you directly try to, to bring about or is it? just because of where you're physically located, you know, that you do sort of get that summertime crew of people coming in and going, oh, what are we going to do tonight in town? Oh, well, this night we'll go to the brewery. And so you you find people who don't always try craft beers trying yours. Ren, what do you think? I mean, look, I yeah. think, uh, you know, um, I think a beer is always going to be better and, and more enjoyed in a nice kind of circumstance. And if you happen to be on holidays in a nice place by the beach, it's a great start. Um, but I think it'd be fair to say the ethos that Ren and Rick, our, our other brewer kind of operate on was making a beer that you're kind of going to want to have a couple of. And I, and I think craft beer is a bit, it's a gradual journey, but you know, any of us that have been in it for a while appreciate a lot of the beer we used to drink was old and, or, you know, was kind of whereas now I think if you can provide a beer that has a level of balance and it's you know presented in the right context and and you can explain to people what what to expect from a beer then if it's well made they probably they mightn't come back to it but I think they can still appreciate it so 
having, I think yeah. having, having a brew pub and having the ability to kind of do that and communicate direct to customers has kind of been pretty good in that respect. What do you think, Ren? Yeah, that's like you said, I think um, anything we make, um, huge motivator is that, yeah, you need to be able to drink two to three pints of it without flinching and just enjoy it. Um, even if it's a double IPA or a, like, it's just got to have like balance is so key to our beers. Um, so even like the Porter we just released, well, not Porter, the stout, um, the mud cake stout, uh, big seven and a half percent stout, but we still wanted it to have roast and balance rather than being overly sweet. Um, and, uh, not being able to go back to it. Whereas that you could comfortably have a couple of cans and, um, still want more um and it's just that thing yeah makes makes a bit of, and i think yeah the brew pub thing um yeah it's great you can you get a good perception of what people like and want um and all our local talkie people that come in and enjoy the beers at the brew pub um yeah it's just a good good way of getting a vibe off them as to what they like so yeah. I imagine the feedback loop's pretty quick that if there's people, you know, who for whatever reason weren't enjoying a beer, you'd be able to sort of hear it from where you were working at the back and, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, people tell you if they, if they don't like something. But, yeah, it's good. Yeah. Generally, everyone's, yeah, pretty pretty into the beers, so. I've no doubt. Yeah, no. Nah. Opinions are like assholes, David. <laughs> <laughs> they form first in the human body. No, I don't know. <laughs> David's got four. <laughs> do, you, do you find um, that... that that being down on on in that that part of the world, because Torquay such a niche little community, do you think that the opinions would come to you if someone came into the brew pub and said, "Hey, I don't like this. Do something different." Would you get the same response if you had your brewery in Melbourne, for example? Is it that it's such a niche market down there that they're more open, they're more able to discuss it, they're more willing to give you negative feedback or positive feedback um, to get their point across? Um, yeah, I, sp- I suppose so. Um, yeah, pe- most people in the town are like pretty, like the people that are involved in the brewery and love the brewery, they come to the brewery and love it. But then there's obviously people that probably don't want to drink the brewery beers as well because they're just not into craft beer at all. Um, but yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, everyone's pretty pretty honest and says what they like and, like quite often you get someone in that comes in and says, I just want a Corona. You just sort of, I don't know, point them in the right direction and give them a lager and they'll still think our lager's overly fruity and they're like, oh, it's a bit fruity. But, um, yeah, you can generally find something for someone. And yeah. They say that without yeah, swearing. I've yeah, oh, well, yeah, I was being polite, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want a beer that tastes like beer. Yeah, yeah. And, and look, we've kind of got 14 taps on tap in, in Torquay and I find it even the most hardened kind of Aussie lager drinker given, you know, if you catch them in a mood where they're willing to listen and we just explain a little bit about adjunct sugars and full grain and, and beer body and, and <laughs> kind of, you actually get to put that beer in a context. I mean, you know, I think that whole kind of the beer tastes like this. I mean, that's, that's, I guess you go back 10 or 15 years ago and that is kind of what it tasted like short of European stuff or oxidised kind of imports. Um, but, I mean, that's what I find. I mean, I've done a lot of lot of different tastings and a lot of different festivals and um, I mean, it's one of the reasons why I think Sour is such a good beer because it is one that can really convert people that are really hell-bent on the fact that they don't like beer and 
you know, that's a pretty big challenge. If you think you don't like something, then it is hard to win people over. And that's probably the appeal of Kona Craft Breweries, but is that story. And I mean, for lack of a better word, I guess there's a bit of romance in it. And it's something that most people really, if you're at a brewery, like you have a bit of a look around, you're probably going to want a beer. A great nomination for a band name there with adjunct sugars. So I'm going to hang on. <laughs> Obviously a metal band. <laughs> I, I was thinking more, yeah, no, yeah, sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> Let's go with metal band. Yeah, we like a punk pop band. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we, should we move on to... Let's move on. Travis is dropping in and out a little bit, but we'll, um, why don't we all just prepare ourselves and get our cans of no more... Sorry, needs more Citra. Um, and um, we'll be ready to kick off with that one when Travis gives us the thumb up, thumbs up. I'm, I'm just as... Actually, I should save my question until Travis gets back, but... The I, name... think I think I'm back. Are you yeah. back? Right. Hopefully. It turns out that uh, the NBN in Yarraville isn't as good as what they say it is. <laughs> as good as, it's better than the ADSL in, in West Melbourne. <laughs> I, um, I feel like the conversation's going to get off beer here, but guys, do you have the NBN down there? Yeah. Oh, I don't yet. Not at my house. I'm, really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've got the good one, Matt. The, work, the one that works out. <laughs> I thought the rural, I thought they were doing the rural areas for oh yeah. I, oh, I just I just I just moved so, yeah. so this needs more series. I'll tell you where this name came from. Actually, this is we kind of wanted to have a little bit of um, fun and build something into that same day IPA concept that we can talk about shortly. But this was actually born. We did a um, in our big year of goes as Ren came up. We um, came up with a good. A good uh, beer name made in the name of a good pun for um, for Gabs 2018. It was an S car goza, so it was a nice parsley, parsley goza with a few um, a Great Ocean Road snails put in the boil for theatre. And one of the reviews that we got on Untapped was, uh, was a relative, <laughs> and it just said needs more snail. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the chicken beer all over again, David. It is the chicken beer all over again. I actually. <laughs> For reasons I won't explain right now, I googled my own name the other day, which I hadn't done in years, and still on the first page of references to my name is a review of the only time I've ever entered a craft beer, uh, you know, making process. And sure enough, needs more chicken was the comment on my chicken beer. So. <laughs> 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 needs, more that needs more citra. Let's move on past me. <laughs> so, yeah, it was pretty well received, this beer, wasn't it, Ren? We kind of... Um, yeah, yeah. First, it's, uh, we'll first kind released of it twice and it's gone in a day. Yeah. So it's coming out again in a couple of weeks. It was kind of the first beer that we brewed for release after the lockdown, so we didn't really know how it was going to go, but we found there's quite a thirst for new and interesting beers and good stories during this time, probably more of a captive audience, a lot more of a sitting down and watching what everyone's doing and ordering beers from the comfort of your, your home. And um, as a same day, yeah, look, it went gangbusters. It's, so give us a bit of a rundown yeah. on the, the same day. Either. So that was kind of, I started working, I was the first in-house sales guy for Blackman's and started working in 20... 16, yeah, kind of mid-2016, and um, 
It was just always one of the experiences that I really liked. If I turned up in the morning and they were canning Reginald IPA or any of the hot Ford beers and I was able to take a couple of cans off the canning line and then get home at the end of the day and have, you know, a Sunday IPA or a Sunday pale ale. And I noticed immediately that all my kind of friends down in Melbourne were all pretty jealous and thought I was a bit of an asshole for having such a cool beer job. And, and because of our scale, I kind of thought that that experience was something that we'd be able to to kind of um, take to market, so to speak. And I guess at the time, we had a good presence in Melbourne and we were well known at the pointy end of the beer market, but I thought that was an offering that, that due to the fact we're nice and small and nimble, we could get down there and do that. And then we'd be once again offering, you know, a good IPA, which is broadly available, but offering in a context that maybe people hadn't been able to experience before. And it, um, now I think this is probably our, I think it's our fifth, same day IPA release, and then this is the first in the planned series of three single hop ones. So there's another one coming out in early July, and then one in September. Um, and look, there's the potential to you know showcase a whole bunch of single hops there, and a bunch of other ideas we can do around that needs more concept. And I guess the idea was just put as much in as would be um, reasonable and cost effective. Probably not quite cost effective, really, Ren, but. Um, and, and yeah, just make a beer that was kind of still brought all the things that, you know, balance and flavour and all the rest of it, but no one could fairly say that it needs more. A couple have, but not many. <laughs> <laughs> it is super good. It, it's, yeah, it, I think the first time I got it with the day of delivery at um, my local takeaway venue in Spotswood, and um, I think back later that day and got a couple more. <laughs> Good. Yeah, the, the, Warren, the, do you want to take over? <laughs> yeah, it certainly sits as a great, as, as a really tasty IPA, IPA and you can really see the citra. I think it's a, it's a good frame. It feels like a good frame. That, that lovely citra bitterness at the end kind of makes a nice, uh, it makes a nice kind of cleansing, cleansing style IPA. Um, is yeah. So so since you've hit this off straight off, uh, since you've hit this out of the park first go, um, is that is that kind of the, the the way you'd prefer to 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 approach this approach this project? That everything you you do is is about kind of are you getting to the stage where everything you do you know that it's going to be at a at a level like like this where have you got a good enough feel for your brewery and your process that you you know okay if we go produce a single hop ipa it should be in this ballpark yeah for sure like we always know um with hoppy beers that we can nail them fairly well um and and we we know how to get really good aroma in our beers and know how to kind of work the dry hop quite well with this obviously um we dry hopped it to an extent that we've never dry hopped to before. Um, and it's probably, yeah, it's almost like in the, in the frame of you wasting hops. Cause you like, you waste a lot of beer um, and hops to get a beer to taste like this. Like I think usually out of a tank, we get 140 cases um, in this beer, we get a hundred cases. So all that beer that gets absorbed into the hops, you get, or you just get a big keg of hops in the bottom and um, yeah, captures, yeah a bunch of beer in the bottom of the tank so it's a pretty uh yeah costly beer to make but yeah super tasty obviously and 
um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I was kind of, I, I think the last time I had a um, single hop citrus beer would have been uh, a few years ago when I probably didn't know what to expect or didn't have anything to benchmark it on, but I actually kind of, and I suppose it's because we used some cryo in this, didn't you, Ren? So cryo and yeah, yeah, you know, which yeah, which yeah, which we use in quite a few of the beers now. The cryo as well, just yeah, it gives you amazing aroma. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of it's interesting as well, just because I suppose there's not a lot of probably single hops lately of the kind of traditional hops like Citra and Simcoe and things like that. So yeah, outside of the hops, are there any other ingredients that you're looking to use? Since you're talking about like location and and the coast, is there anything specific that's come up that you're 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 kind of itching to to throw into a beer and you want to put out there? Um. I suppose, yeah, with the barrel farms stuff, um, but that's sort of wrong time of the year now. Um, but you might, yeah, I'd have to run through that again. You just uh, you just cut out a little bit, Ren. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, cool. Um, probably yeah, probably uh, local fruit and things. Um, should have wrong time of the year now, but um, we've got yeah quite a few orchards and uh, fruit farms and things around this area that we could probably. Um, get involved with especially with barrel aged beers um, from a hop front it's sort of we just we're pretty pretty involved with US hops just because of the quality that and the aromas and flavors you get in a lot of our beers um, bit of the Australian hops too um, but yeah it'd be yeah have you, been, have you been stung by any of like so hops are a heavily traded commodity and we've discussed it a few times across with a few of our guests, but have you been stung by the, the kind of the hop market? Like you were, you were hoping something was there and it disappeared or you, you wanted to, you, you were developing a product and all of a sudden the hops. Yeah, are, uh, I suppose. Yeah. You, you've always got to be like thinking ahead. Like we, we contract our hops three years ahead. Um, and you've, yeah, sometimes you, you get to a point and you're like, oh, like I think our pale ale started with, El Dorado in it instead of Mosaic. Um, and it was, I don't know, probably after we made six batches of it or something, ran into an issue with getting El Dorado, I couldn't get it. So I just switched to Mosaic and actually turned out better for the beer anyway. And we never went back to El Dorado. Um, but yeah, it sort of happens all the time, especially because it's just a natural agricultural product that they can have a bad year or someone can, I don't know, a big brewery, like someone can just chime in and buy all this type of hop for a beer that they've decided to make with it. Um, and then the supply runs out. So yeah, it's um, yeah. Interesting with that stuff. Um, if we actually talked about, you know, what sort of things people should be looking for in the Citra, I mean, you, as you say, it's sort of one of the very traditional, well, traditional modern craft brewery hops, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, it's the auto tune of hops. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's unfair, and it's always back to me. But yeah, you know, what what sort of flavour should people be expecting? And you know, <laughs> you know, because uh, it's sort of yeah, quite. I suppose it's, it's ultra tropical, very citrusy, as the name suggests. Yep. Um, it's yeah. I, I feel like it's it's almost you get almost like I get like a hay earthy kind of character from this too, just because it is so intense. Um, yeah, but I suppose everyone perceives things differently too. But um, yeah, I just get mega tropical and yeah, it, and it's it's kind of you can almost you can almost feel the hops on your tongue when you drink this mm. beer because it's just it's lathered with hops, hop oil and hop kind of yeah. Bits I of kind hop. of 
It had more depth of flavour than I expected as a single hop. And I think maybe that's just, I mean, a number of different hop charges at different times and then a mix of cryo and T90. So it's, I guess, citrus being laid about as well as you could. But that's one thing I noticed when I had it. I, I kind of just expected that quite often that I'd, I'd drinking citrus playing with mosaic or Simcar or any of the usual suspects. And I, um, I found that it you know, still kind of was just as interesting by itself, which I kind of expected it just to be a little more one-dimensionally, one-dimensional and citrusy, I suppose. But as I said, last time I had a, a citro single hop beer was probably a few years ago on the journey, and I wouldn't have really known what I was uh, mm. what I was up for. Mm. Do so we that, have yeah. any questions coming through? Let's have a look. Um, any of you guys want to ask a question in relation to the Citra or in relation to any of the beers while we're here, feel free to type them away or unmute yourself and, and ask away at this point. Well, I'm, I'm interested. I'll, I'll kick it off and I've been asking questions all night, but is what are you guys drinking at the moment outside of your own beers? I mean, I'm always interested to see what, what beer people are drinking when they're, uh, uh, my, my kind of go-to pale ale is colonial pale. Um, well, I drink quite a bit of that. <laughs> um, Port Melbourne, yeah. From yeah, Melbourne. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah drink a bit of that. I, yeah, I am really. <laughs> we yeah. actually, we've had a discussion about this recently. Uh, how far did Colonial push out, Ren? Where are you picking up Colonial? Oh, yeah. Talk I just did my local, my local BWS. And and actually, my and corkscrew sellers in Torquay too. They've got it. Oh, yeah, nice. Yep. So I probably find myself, um, yeah, I've got to the point where I'm experimenting in kind of barrel aged and mixed ferment stuff, which I've found quite interesting because it's horribly expensive, particularly any of the imported stuff. And then mm. I've discovered it's a fine line between a great beer and a sport beer. Um, so drinking a fair bit of that. I had um, I had an IPA out of Tasmania the other day that picked my ears back a little bit. The uh, Dances with Hops from a Shambles. I thought that was quite good. And I just listened to um, the Beer Healers podcast with the guy from Shambles. And that was a really interesting story and kind of setting up a brewery. And I, I got a lot out of that. So I'll be trying more of their beers. Um, what else have I really liked? I thought most of the beers that have come out of the stone and wood kind of um, counterculture things have been interesting. Mm. The last isotonic one, probably not so much, but... Um, <laughs> that was interesting, though. Yeah, I, I thought the... the, <laughs> what, the, was the what was the isotonic one? That it was a like Barocca. Yeah. Oh, really? They put, they put yeah. like, like different salts and minerals yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah. So it was like the mid-strength 500 mil can that you'd have after a nice healthy hike somewhere <laughs> up in the... <laughs> And yeah, I actually didn't drink it because I didn't go hiking that month. <laughs> I had enjoyed a few of the previous ones of those. What else have I liked? Um, I mean, look, I think that's, you know, I always enjoy um, anything from any of the big, there's some really nice kind of big hoppy beer producers up, up further north. I'm always like Akasha stuff. And yeah, I, mean, I do think we're sport for choice at the moment. I think, mm. I mean, actually, I did a series. You guys just spoke to them the other day, and I haven't listened to it yet, but I did a bit of a series of a um, bunch of the La Serene stuff with a friend the other day. And oh, yeah. They're just putting out some fantastic stuff. That Paradox is one of those only kind of um, sour mixed ferment beers I've gone back for a few times. So, so, um, there are beer packs still available, Luke. Uh, just, 
there are beer packs still available. Just yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, if you want. I might have to have a look at that. I think, um, I mean, I think what we got out of that one, even on the night, was there were some people who tasted their beers perhaps three or four years ago and then coming back and tasting them again, we're just sort of wowed by the freshness of some of the beers and the flavours. Yeah, no, they've been doing some good kind of interesting stuff that's, you know, that's not commonly found and quite rewarding. Well, particularly, particularly looking at your, your, um, your beer farm idea, I suppose their beers would be a kind of a good, not necessarily a benchmark, but a good, a good uh, look at how, how that barrel aging really comes together for, for someone else and how, how, where it could take you guys. So we did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Go around. Oh, it's just, yeah, again, yeah, it's going to be that, it's that journey over time where we're going to, yeah, sit and wait for those barrels to do their thing and, yeah, hopefully get to a point where we are making some amazing beers like Lasserine because, yeah, their beers are pretty banging. So. There was one thing Costa said that in the beginning you threw out a lot more beer than he was selling. Oh, for sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, we, that's um, it's scary. Yeah. That must be yeah. scary for you. Expensive. Yeah, yeah. Expensive, man. Yeah. <laughs> that's why it's 12 bucks for stubby, I guess. <laughs> uh, so so starting, starting with you, Ren, out of all the beers that you've brewed since Blackman's has been about, um, do you have one that sort of stands out? What's your, what's your favourite beer? What's the one probably, thing? Probably Juicy Banger. Um, it's kind of just that beer that, for me, it's, it's the, it combines all the things I love. Like I love like Munich Hellers, sort of like the base of it, and then I love an IPA. That's sort of bringing those two things together. So for me, that's probably my favourite. Um, but yeah, again, then lately, probably even the sour, I'm probably leaning towards that a bit, like over summer. Um, but yeah, I think Banger is sort of at my heart, probably. Yeah. What about the rest of the family? What do they think? <laughs> um, oh, Jess probably drinks a bit of Porter. I think that's a, probably her favourite over winter. And then she's probably a... Oh, probably pale ale. She probably drinks probably lots of Juicy Banger too, actually. Um, kids don't really drink much. Um, much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> look, yeah. Reg, Reg is my favourite. I'm, I'm a big fan of Reg. That's what I... Um, and look, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys got to have a try of Super Hop. That'll come out again at some stage. That'll be one oh, of our... Oh, yeah, Super Hop. That's just a prime, uh, just a primo example of a great West Coast. Um, the only issue I have with it's the seven point two percent, but I guess you need that boost to carry the flavour. So mm. just bring just bring two home at a time is a good rule at Luke's house. <laughs> <laughs> Can I take us right back to the very beginning and, and talking of family members and so forth? It's been a long running discussion that we've had on the podcast about golden ales, and you mentioned Ernie starting out as a golden ale there. We interviewed Jane about the end of sort of golden ale at Two Birds. We know Joel from Venom has very clear views on golden ales as being a viable product. That's because he's the only one that can sell any. <laughs> Port controversy. Yeah, very. Yeah. Well, but the only one left now, isn't he? Really? Yeah, he's 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 completely cornered the market by yeah. <laughs> But you obviously made a commercial decision around, you know, I presume, around the Golden Isle, or was it just a... Yeah, just, um, just originally it kind of was, it was always an Aussie pale, our, our Ernie, um, but we kind of, we did, we went down the direction of calling it Golden Ale because at the time, as you said, like two birds and it was beers, it was kind of a growth kind of category. Um, and we didn't really want it to be a pale ale, I suppose. It's sort of, yeah, it was somewhere between those styles but quite hoppy still. Um, 
and then yeah over time we just sort of thought well it probably does it's more of an aussie pale that's where we enter it in the awards um and we increased we changed the dry hop slightly so we added a bit more galaxy and backed off the yellow a little bit um yeah made it a bit more aussie pale as such but it's just that thing yeah it probably i don't know wasn't as selling as well as it could have as a gold now no um, at the brewery at the brewery it sells like like it's one of the most mm. popular beers on tap um but in pack format, it probably doesn't uh, perform as well as, say, like the pale does. And I think, yeah, it's just interesting. A beer style and name can really dictate where a beer goes. And then, like, if the sales guy here, I mean, I was pushing for the change because we kind of 97% of the malt from Ernie is actually malted here in Geelong. And then it's got a trio of Aussie hops. So I actually thought there was a good story about kind of Providence and. Yeah. a good local story and it just became something like Ernie does really well in its own little kind of circles of place, you know, areas locally. And then it's great for someone that does come and come at a pale ale from a 150 lashes or something kind of ABV versus dollar kind of value. Um, it's the driest ale in the range. So it is something that someone that's still used to buying six of the same beer and, and tipping them in, you can, you can have half a dozen of those on well, a four pack now. Um, Whereas Mervyn, you know, Mervyn said, you know, Mervyn is a is a, a very hoppy kind of pale, and it's um, you know, it takes a little bit of practice to knock four in. I can do it. <laughs> I can do it, <laughs> and have done on multiple occasions. <laughs> yeah. So and, and and then Ernie, I think too. I mean, we've discussed some of the legacy beers or some of the family beers, and their kind of place in the portfolio, but. I think, you know, they, they especially fit in when you come to the brewery and you get a sense of, you know, you've, you've got Uncle Ernie and Uncle Bob and, you know, the, the cider's friend's great-grandmother Winnie and then your Arthur Smoke Porter's his great-grandfather. And I think that's probably something that um, I know that the first time I came down to Blackwoods and initially I saw the tap list, this is before prior to working um, as part of the team. And initially I was like, Arthur and Ernie, and I'm like, oh, I just want a beer. It was all... I didn't get it at first, but then once I understood what it was about, I realised that it was kind of, you know, it was really reading through the beers and having a taste of them was kind of coming on the journey. And it, um, it's probably one of the more personal beer experiences I'd had at a brewery going, you know, probably I don't know, it would have been eight months before I started working for Blackburns. And then when I kind of moved, moved uh, down here and I was transitioning industries and this beer job came up and I had a love for beer and I'm like I've had half of their beers and they're pretty good and I like the story I'm like I'm gonna go down there and try the other half and if they're good I'm gonna get this job so they were good uh, so Ren. just based on that Ren was the was the family names of the beers a conscious thing from the start or was it just a you know did you did you name Reg after your grandfather and then it and then decided to do it all but was it decided before that or yeah, well, we yeah we always knew we wanted to call it, sort of put our name behind it. Um, yeah, we, we sort of thought about names and kind of thought about it quite a bit. And sort of thought rather than yeah calling ourselves like, I don't know, dog, cat or like some sort of random animal yeah. at the time, which was very common. Um, oh, put our name. <laughs> yep. Um, so, yeah, we did put our name on it and then, yeah, just sort of thought what a great way to kind of carry that through with, with all the family names. And I had quite lucky with all the family names we had with Reginald, Ernie, Bob, Arthur and Winnie. They're all pretty, I don't know, yeah. nice names. Um, and kind of, yeah, tied in well with the Blackman kind of legacy. So The follow-up question for that though, Ren, is when you have to kill off a range because it's not going well. <laughs> yeah. 
are you basically what does a family member think like have you yeah what does how do you feel about killing one of your family yeah yeah, (laughs) hey well we've 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 semi-killed bob because he he was he was uh he was in cans and kegs now he's in just in kegs on tap um because he was i know belgian wit beer very misunderstood style of Australia, um, yep. super drinkable. And the reason we did it is because you thought it would be a beer that would sell really well. Um, but sort of just wheat beers are just very, yeah, yeah. people just don't it's get them in Australia. Um, but um, yeah, we'll probably, yeah, I don't know. Sort of, yeah, hopefully we won't have to kill off the, <laughs> the rest of the family. But, uh, we'll um, just change their hats. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. You might see Bob with a bit of watermelon at some point. You never know. Yeah, we've talked about that. Yeah, which imagine if we ever did Bob with watermelon, they'd probably sell like hotcakes. Yeah, well, that that's um, who does the the wheat beer with uh, raspberries? Is that boat rocker? Boat rocker. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That reminds me of I think the first ever Blackman's beer that I sold along the way was the Smoking Boots. Oh, cool. <laughs> um, which was literally off the back of two of the locals walking in, in at Mr. Griffiths in Kensington and going, would you look at this bloody thing? What's that about? And so I made a point of searching it out and, and getting a slab. Um, that was a delicious beer, especially when I was super fresh. Great um, name. It was definitely yeah, the, that was, the pinkest beer that we've made. It was so pink, wasn't it? It was Rick's first creation, actually. It was his first uh, solo brew that he decided to make. But, um, and you let him do that. Yeah, well, it just it was a good idea. We actually just had a baby, so I wasn't at work much. No, just a bit. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, chose not to be here, so you're allowed to tell stories. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, you, like, when he had the, he had the name and uh, yes, yeah, smoke malt with beetroot and oh yeah, it was just and then saison yeast. It was kind of a pretty cool combo. Some, really, really flavoursome. Sometimes when it comes to products. The, the name is it actually can dictate a really great product. Like, a, you know what I mean? Like, Smoke oh, a Beach is sure, an awesome yeah. name. And you just go, yeah. <laughs> how are we going to make the world's best beer out of this? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. actually kind of feel that if you can have a bit of fun with the name, and I mean, if you look at all the stuff we do on social media, I mean, it's really, it is mm. about, like, making beer is fun, you know, and selling beer is fun. Yeah. And that's kind of... You know, that's one of the things I love so much about being a part of what's going on at Blackman's. I mean, it's good fun, and we, you know, we're we're making those silly beers, and we're having a laugh, and then we kind of we get to, like, it's amazing. Sometimes you come up with this silly little name and have a bit of a talk about it, and then you know, within the space of five weeks, you've got this beer and artwork surrounding it, and this this product, and other people are able to enjoy it. So, um, yeah, no, it's a nice role as a sales guy to come up with some of these ideas, and then kind of have great people around it that can make a fantastic beer and then crack great artwork and actually, you know, see some of my um, silly, you know, beer-fueled ideas come to life is fantastic. <laughs> um, I'm curious, Ren, have you got any plans to to do a mid-strength beer and name it after one of the kids? No, no, probably the kids won't get a beer, I don't think. I think it's just all, all grandparents and above. Um, but um, we do have, we've got the mid, the local standard. I don't know if you've had that before. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that's not a bad beer. Just uh, yeah, mid mids are still. I don't know. They're still on the rise. I think mid strength might be the year of mid strength this year. Maybe. But no, we yeah, can't have the year of the lager and the year. Of the same <laughs> well, you got to keep your keep your options. Someone someone else mentioned that, that they thought that that this year 
I know it was it was um it was Joel. It was like oh he was prepared to for this year to be like all all kind of low ABV stuff and and lagers. And then yeah, it's probably gone the opposite. Yeah, it's gone. I don't know if it's got anything to do with COVID nineteen, but definitely. People aren't having to drive much at the moment. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, Yeah, I think it's a good time to drink a large format high ABV beer. Um, what's the what's the deal with the top of the cans and the sour being in a silver guy? You read my mind, Warren. We all have our um, beer nerdistries and thinking of bringing those out, guys. Yeah, so all the yeah all the barrel farm products um, have a silver silver cap, and all the Blackman's products uh, have a black cap. So right. That's sort of the direction we've gone. Yeah, very cool. But it's sort of it's interesting. The the black caps are really appearing a lot now too. So mm. yeah, uh, yeah. Mm. yeah, Sort of at the time we we're like, oh, I'm going to get the black caps happening, and then as soon as we did it, everyone did it. So yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that there's not more people with the colonial tops, you know, the ones, the, the full rip off the head of the whole can. And yeah, drink. they're quite, yeah. they're quite cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've, uh, we've contemplated doing it for seasonal. We might do it probably. Cup. But then you've got to do something with that thing, Warren, as we discovered uh, that, the other the, day. Then also oh, yeah. put it in your pocket or, you, you know. Nah, yeah. Just leave it on the beach for someone to step on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, Luke, they weren't at the beach when they were discussing it. They were at my place. And oh, wow. Hey, I, th- I think you can just drop the whole thing back in the can. Just keep on doing yeah, yeah, it. That's sure. what, that's Which what is I what I normally do. Yeah, um, that's what I do. Uh, Ren, one of our listeners, Corey, said you should put your core label range backgrounds onto beach shirts. I reckon that sounds like a pretty... Yeah, be very Am cool. I correct yeah. in thinking that you guys sell a bit of merchandise from the brewery? We do, yeah. Well, probably Luke, Luke's the merch man. He knows all Luke's about merch. Yeah, yeah. There's the guy that's sitting there in a hoodie and a beanie at the same time. Yeah, that's yeah. 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 Sorry, yeah. For the listeners afterwards that can't see this, Luke, who is the sales manager from Blackman's, is literally sitting in our chat with a hoodie on um, and a beanie at the same time, which just doesn't really seem like a great idea. But oh, it's just, no, it's, I didn't really think it out. It's just my <laughs> uniform. I rushed on. Here I am. I did 20 years in the rag trade, so I was kind of um, getting involved in our little merch kind of beer swag thing's been a bit of fun. So, And it's, it's kind of funny, actually, the, the um, similarities between kind of aspirational surf culture and beer stuff. I mean, you know, Bolter's probably brought it to the forefront in the last couple mm. of years with you yeah. know, one of our most well-known kind of um, previously independent Beer brands kind of really riding off the back of a in a bunch of well-known kind of um, surf guys with almost a board short graphic on the can. So it's it's been an interesting transition and, and um, from surf to kind of beer. And I, I thought it was just my point of view, and I think it, there there is a fair bit of the, the same similarities going on at the, the pointy end of um, craft beer marketing at the moment. So you know, what was the what was the there was a Gabs event? No, Gabs event. Uh, um, Good we beer week event. What was the one we were talking about? The the gra- grab grab. Oh shit! I remember. Um, it's Travis Stanley. The Travis remember the oh. merch. It was the merch one. Oh, you assholes! Ah, <laughs> uh, you've lost me there, Warren. No, there was Dang like it. that that event where that everyone was selling merch. Well, there was one day when everyone was A beer swag day. Beer swag day. Beer swag day. Oh, I've never heard of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was only a couple of days ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah I on Saturday, I think. I don't have uh, enough money for beer merch. 
So <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to shift it from merchandise to something else before we wrap this thing up. Guys and Ren, I don't know whose idea this was, but you guys have a van that goes around that pours people pints. Yeah, is that yeah, a correct? So that, is, is that a thing? Do, yeah. It's a yeah, bit of a rundown yeah, no, so, on this because I've yeah, seen the so, photos on Facebook and I think it's quite genius. Yeah, well, we sort of, um, when uh, COVID happened, um, obviously we had to shut our venues down. Um, and we had our beer van ready to go. Um, already had beer taps on the side of it for festivals. Um, yeah, and we just thought, well, why, why don't we, yeah, drive drive the beer van to people's houses and pour pints. So yeah, we've done that for the last um, probably three, oh, oh, probably probably six to eight weeks. Yeah, every weekend, so on Saturdays, just in Torquay. Um, and yeah, we just people book time slots. Um, and yeah, we rock up to people's houses and pour them a couple of pints, and yeah, no, it's been pretty fun. It's it's been awesome too, like to actually see the joy you bring to people, um, <laughs> because they haven't been able to have beer, like beer from a tap. Yeah. Um, so the first few nights, like you'd literally roll up to some people's house, they come out, and they just had this big beaming smile. They were like uh, little kids coming out to like an ice cream truck. It's pretty good. Um, yeah. Right. Which in my head was the same thing. I can imagine you guys just rocking up to my place in Yarraville playing music above the, on a speaker above the car and I race out with my pint glass and you guys fill it up for me because yeah. throughout the whole COVID-19 thing, I'm at a point now where I just want to go back to a pub and have a pint of beer. Yeah. Like it's just, yeah. Um, and, and so I'm guessing that you, you did mention this. It's just in Torquay. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. We, we got people... People, even though it's said all over the online stuff, people were trying to buy it all over Geelong. They were like clicking it and buying it regardless that it said Torquay 328 only. Um, so we had to call a few people and say, sorry, we can't can't bring it to you. Um, but yeah, if we had, I think if we had it done other suburbs, it would have got out of hand. But we just sort of kept it kept it local, did one day a week. And, um, yeah, we, we actually finished this weekend and then we're back to... Amazing. So are you, are you excited? Are you excited about kicking off again? Are you? Are you? Uh, yeah, yeah, excited, excited, and a bit nervous, obviously, because it's sort of a bit of a. It's, it's obviously reduced numbers, and we've got to um, get take people's details, and um, there's a few things involved to get it right. So we've we've got a booking system that we've um, got started. I think it kicks off tomorrow. We're going to launch that. Um, but yeah, people have to book time slots, and then in between sittings, we're uh, wiping down tables. And <laughs> Making sure they're all sterile and clean. And um, you guys reopen yeah, all be, three venues? Uh, just uh, Ocean Grove and Torquay at this stage. Geelong's too small um, to warrant opening because yep. I think on the square meterage, we're only allowed like two or three people. So um, <laughs> it'd well, be, that'd, uh, be, that'd be pretty awesome, won't it? Yeah. It would be cool, yeah. You'd book That's probably people would come people. under the parks and, you know. One table. Yeah, that's it, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, hopefully, I don't know, we'll see how we go in a few months. Hopefully we can open up there again too. Um, but yeah, it'll be good. It'll be great to be able to pour beers for people again um, come next week. So yeah. But perhaps, guys, we've touched there on your social medias and it's probably a really good opportunity to sort of plug them so that people who are just learning about you for the first time tonight, which is a bit hard to believe, but, you know, just on the off chance, where can they follow your social media and how can they stay in touch with everything that you guys are doing? Um, oh, yeah, I suppose, yeah, blackmansbrew.com.au is our sort of main port of call to the website. Um, Instagram, sort of Blackmans Brewery, we do quite a bit of stuff. Yeah, Instagram we're pretty uh, heavily involved with. 
Um, and uh, Facebook again, it'd just be yeah, Blackman Brewery on Facebook. Um, and yeah, you'd be able to keep up to date with everything we're doing. So, yeah. And um, aside from the fact that you've got a far more sophisticated booking system than my paper and pen by the sounds of it, um, you know, if we they want to get in touch, best to call the, um, the venues directly or how to get in touch in the next couple of weeks? Um, yeah, for bookings and things in the venues, uh, just straight on the website. I think from tomorrow, there'll be a link right on the main page where you'll be able to like click and book and like literally go to the booking page for slots in the restaurants or in the venues. Um, and uh, yeah, if you want beer delivered and all that sort of stuff, that's all on the main page. You just, it just says, take me to the beer shop. You just click that and straight to the beer shop. That's pretty much what most people do right now. They don't look at anything else. They just go straight to the beer shop. We um, probably should quickly give a little spiel on the beer club, shouldn't we? Oh, yeah. yeah I was sure. just about to ask this question when you said about the, the website and stuff. So you guys are doing a bit of a beer club. Let's, let's, have a, uh, let's finish off with a bit of a chat about that aspect because we've, we've all had a bit of a chat about beer clubs and COVID-19 and the way things are sort of working. Was this something that came about because of COVID or was this something you guys had planned before that all came about? Um, I'll speak to that if you don't mind, Ren. So, look, we'd been looking at beer clubs for quite some time and it's always, I mean, the idea of selling new beers direct to your kind of your, your best supporters um, is always a fantastic one. But we, over the last couple of years, I'd kind of, there's so much availability in bottle shops now that, it, um, you know, the idea that you kind of get a box of beer and you get three core beers and some beers that you may very well have already bought if you're a true fan of a brewery. Um, turn up it just kind of it just seemed like it was going to be hard to put together a box that would bring some added value and it'd be kind of um, easier than engaging with us at our venues or our bottle shops but then obviously with COVID-19 then all of a sudden a lot of us that weren't used to kind of ordering beer and probably wouldn't have considered it too much um, all of a sudden had this kind of beer delivery thing thrust upon us and and we saw it as a great opportunity to, now that people are getting used to kind of having their Friday night knockoffs delivered, it was a great opportunity to put something together that, that kind of could service that need, but then also be, you know, give us an opportunity to give a bunch of new stuff to crew that are the kind of core supporters of the brand and the brewery. So it's a little back and forth in working out what that would look like. Um, it is, you know, it's a lot to ask for someone to kind of subscribe to your beer for the year. But in the end, we ended up coming up with a monthly kind of um, case of 16. And in that, there'll be two fresh core four-packs and then two four-packs of new beers that are going to be kind of club only. And we launched that with a view to having 30 members, didn't we, Ren? And that kind of, we mm. achieved our 30 members fairly quickly. So that's the, the challenge in the coming months is working out how we can kind of scale that up and still make it a good kind of valuable offering um, and also something that's viable at our end. But the uptake, and I think, well, I mean, we have been quite humbled by the support we've had from our local and kind of key supporters, you know, to see people step up and kind of hand over their hard-earned regularly to have, have your beer there and effectively keep us all in jobs has been, it's been, I mean, it has been quite humbling. And at the start of it, we didn't know how much beer we'd been selling. And then now here we are kind of, you know, selling out this small little scale beer subscription quite quickly. So obviously kind of people's breweries are important to them and that mixed with the kind of thirst for new beers, I think 
I think there's a thing there. It's just a matter of, um, I mean, it's gone quite well and I imagine it will continue to grow, but it, um, have you, um, have you found that the majority of the sub subscriber base are local to the brewery, that Torquay, Ballerine sort of area? Yeah. Torquay, Geelong, Ocean Grove kind of mix. Yeah. Yeah. And then quite, we got, oh, we got a few sort of Melbourne, Melbourne based people too, I think that have jumped onto, which is great. So in relation to the majority of your subscriber base being down in that area, are you guys a little concerned about how that filters through after the COVID-19 scenario finishes up? Are you concerned that, you know, the, the guys that would normally come down to the brewery in Torquay on a Friday night to have a couple of pints of beer might not decide to do that because they're now getting it delivered to their door type scenario. Is there some sort of balance there or how do you guys see that sort of playing out? Uh, I think, I think that, that it'll be interesting going forward just because I think, yeah, people are going to be definitely inclined to stay home for a beer sometimes now. Um, but yeah, that kind of whole experience of going to a brewery and having a beer and a pint, it's totally different to staying at home by yourself and having a beer like this now. Um, but yeah, I, th I don't know. It'll be interesting. Um, but I think, I think we'll still get yeah, plenty of people will still be coming for pints. I think people will be pretty excited for pints as well in the coming months. Um, as you said, no one's drank many pints lately. So, Well, I think that also there's the option too. I mean, if we know that we've got a captive committed audience that are local, then it does, you know, if we get to the numbers to a certain point, then we can actually do kind of stuff that's specific for that, you know, for that, um, that customer, you know? So, I mean, it's all fairly new. It's not a sparse that we've played in before and we don't know how it's all going to pan out. I mean, maybe everyone will stop ordering anything and they'll all just be at the bar given the opportunity in the coming months. But um, oh, I guess I that's one, one thing that this has provided a good opportunity to try some things and kind of see what sticks. And I guess the key thing, I mean, we're having fun with it. It's a good opportunity to make some more fun beers on a small scale. I actually missed, out, yeah, the, missed out on the first two. Yeah, well, that's the thing. The exciting <laughs> thing about the, the beer club is that it's... Uh, yeah, super exclusive. So the people that get involved are getting beers that no one else are getting. Um, and they're, yeah, they're crazy beers. They're all going to be pretty wacky, big style beers that we generally wouldn't uh, venture that far to doing. So pretty exciting. So gives us an opportunity to make some pretty fun stuff. It is a bit of a common theme with, that, uh, David, you'll attest to this, obviously. Um, when we've been doing the podcast during the COVID lockdown, there are positives to come out of this situation where we're all trying new things we're all you know taking risks and and seeing what sort of comes of it which is which is kind of cool that you guys are doing the same thing it's yeah. it's good to have a positive to come out of this situation it's the amber sure. lining travis <laughs> <laughs> well hang on to that one that's good yeah. that's, that's, that's i good. reckon i reckon luke's held on to that one for a little while i think yeah. <laughs> that's Any going in the tagline <laughs> On that note of it being <laughs> amber lining, I think we uh, we will wrap up and David will take over and do his little outro. And uh, if anyone's got any questions, they can pipe in. Yeah, look, wave your slippers in the air if you've got any last minute questions. But um, presuming that there's none of those, look, first of all, obviously a big thanks to both Luke and Ren for giving up their time. Thank on you. a Thursday night, as the industry is well and truly gearing back up again, whether it's in breweries or whether it's in pubs, um, right now is a pretty busy time for people. And 
both a, a, a fun, scary time. I think, Ren, you touched on that along the way there, that as venues reopen, no one really knows what the market's going to be like next week or the week after, let alone a month after that. So get out and support your local breweries. Get out and support your, your local venues. Um, we've got the social medias there for the good people at Blackman's. Um, get down and get some of their beers. And I know uh, Hudson's Road have got some of uh, probably one of the best Melbourne stockists of Blackman's as well. Is that right, Trev? Uh, well, they're the best stockists I have close to my house of Blackman's. So <laughs> um, I, go into, I go into Hudson's quite a bit. There's always a, a line in the fridge, your beers. So yeah. it's, uh, uh, it's a good egg, we always, always buy us the new ones and, and, and um, you can always find a few cool ones there too. So. He's always, I know the day that the, uh, the Citra came in, he had them uh, planted out on his little bench top there because obviously he wasn't using the tables for patrons. So he had to stock it up on beer. No, Lee's a good bloke. and. Um, Hopefully we'll have him on the show soon to give us some insight into all the crazy stuff that he's been going through during COVID as well. Um, do you want to guys, um, just before David finishes off, maybe give us a couple of other stockers that are in and around Melbourne? Yeah, it's, um, yeah look, so we're, in, we're, we're lucky enough to have a presence in most independent, uh, key independent kind of retailers in the inner city. Um, the further you travel out, you might have to hunt a little more, but we do regular stuff with McCoppins, we do stuff with the guys at Ackland Street Cellars. Um, we do beer mash. We do Carwin Cellars. We do Audacious Monk. We've we've kind of we've got probably a good three dozen constant partners down in Melbourne. And from time to time, and we've got a we've got a big core range and lots of seasonal. So you won't always find everything. But um, if you walk into any independent um, bottle shop, you can ask them to get our stuff. Um, there is also the option. I mean, it's great to support your local independents. But if you can't find it, we, we ship mixed cases out um, throughout Melbourne as well. So you can you can find our Shopify stuff on the site if um, you don't have a good kind of relationship with a local retailer that can order it in. But look, um, by all means, if you tell them to give Luke a call, I'll dry off the beer out to them and fill their fridges with it, given the chance. So. Seems to be just the thing you do, Luke, is just drive beer out to people. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> Look, on that note, having mentioned your social media, is it just a reminder if you haven't already to follow The Cool Room on Instagram and Facebook so that you start to date with everything that we're doing, including our Meet the Brewers next week. We'll be focusing on dark ales and things to warm you up for winter. Um, everyone who's in the Zoom room and everyone who tends to be a regular listener and commenter, I'm sure has some views as to what dark beers they'd love to have in that lineup. So don't be backward in coming forward on that. We'd like, uh, we'd like everyone to be a part of that one as we sort of close out the COVID-19 lockdown phase of what we're doing and, um, and have a chat about what would be great to have going forward as part of this experience. And, um, and in touching on that sort of nervousness that venue owners have, um, be part of my nervousness about reopening the Royal Mail, which I'm doing on Monday the 1st of June, um, against advice of some, but with the full support of people who are giving me nice thumbs up and so forth now, um, I'm very much looking forward to being one of those people who gets to pour beer for a whole lot of people I haven't seen in ages. But as part of that, we really do need to get bookings and things in, so you can do it via the cool room uh, social medias if that's a better way for you to do it rather than getting in touch with the pub but make contact and come in. And if you're one of our new friends who sort of learned about the pub through these podcasts over the last couple of months, 
um, come in and make yourself known and do that weird thing that people do when they listen to a podcast as they walk in, maybe from March 2019, and then pick up the conversation right from that point and just <laughs> for a little point in time. So um, that's always one of my favourite things to have happen. Um, Ren, Luke, Travis, Warren, and the whole Zoom team, thank you for being part of tonight. And um, as we always say, the good thing about if you're doing it in the Zoom room with us live, you get to sort of sit around and have a couple of beers with us. I'm going to go and um, open that porter in a second, which has been part of the delivery pack. And um, those who want to stick around can stick around and be part of that. Good work. Well, thank you, David. Thank Jeez. you, Sarah. Thanks. Thank you, Warren. Thanks for having us. Yeah, that was our first, that was our podcast debut. I, oh, was really? oh, yeah. I would have made it far more intimidating at the start if I'd known that. That's all right. <laughs> hey there, Cool Room listeners. We've got a little ad for you. No, we're not asking for money so that you can advertise quality mattresses, razors, or any of those other sort of things that seem to get advertised on podcasts. What we're looking for is other fun podcasts that would like to share a 30-second ad with our listeners, letting everyone know why they're so great, and in return, letting us share a 30-second ad for The Cool Room. We know that right now there's a whole lot of people who are looking for fun new podcasts to help them while away their isolation hours, so if you've got something to share, drop us a line via our Facebook or Instagram accounts. Right, add over. <laughs>